0: You know how they say, like, when you're a mom and, you know, your kids are a mess and they, mom, you're so uptight. Then when they get to be a parent, they understand why you were so nervous when everything was a mess or whatever. So I think they're just getting to know me in a different way now.
1: Hey, hey, Holly. Hey, Amanda. Welcome, Lit Mamas.
0: You're listening to This Mama is Lit, the podcast where we explore the multi-sided questions of motherhood. Every other week, we'll be bringing you a new unfiltered chat with another Mama writer.
1: I'm Amanda Fields, Editor-in-Chief of Literary Mama and a divorced mom of one. I'm Holly rizzuto palker Profiles Editor at Literary Mama. Mom to three amazing children and a cute Jack Russell Terrier. And I'm Brianna Avinia Tapper. I'm also a profiles editor at Literary Mama and I have two small children. So welcome, Corey. Today we have Corey Corey, tell me I'm sorry, me. Is that yeah. how I Okay? Yeah. <laughs> so today we have Corey Adjmi with us. Corey Adjme is a best-selling author who grew up in New Orleans and started writing in her thirties. Her novel, The Marriage Box, and her short story collection, Life and Other Shortcomings, have won a number of prizes, including three international book awards. That's pretty good. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. A fiction award and an IBPA, Benjamin Franklin Award. Corey's fiction and personal essays have appeared in dozens of publications, including Newsweek, Huffington Post, North American Review, Indiana Review, Medium, Motherwell, and Caveller, all great publications. When she is not writing, Corey does volunteer work, cooks, bikes, and hikes. She and her husband have five children and a number of grandchildren, with more on the way. Corey lives and works in New York City. Welcome, Corey.
0: Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here.
1: The first thing I have to say, well, there's two things I have to say. Number one is your cooking. After reading the novel, I think that there's some seriously delicious Syrian cooking going on on Friday in your house. So you might have to invite me for a Shabbat.
0: I would love <laughs> that.
1: You're more than welcome anytime. I don't know if I told you. I may have. I'm part Lebanese. So I know the food is very similar and very good. My grandma is... At cooking it. But the other thing that shocks me beyond the pale is that you're a grandmother because you look like you're in college. So <laughs> you. you will have to tell us your secret. How many children do you have? How many grandchildren do you have? Fill us in. I have five
0: children and right now, 13 grandchildren, one on the way, actually October, so just a month away. And I started super young, which is part of the premise of The Marriage Box and part of my real life. I got married when I was 18.
1: Yep. That is super interesting. And we definitely want to talk about that today because as I read the novel, I did get almost a little confused because I said, well, is this dipping into memoir? Because... Obviously, I knew you were married at 18 and you lived in the community. So I'm really interested to know about your immersion in that group and what you've learned. And let's get into that. And then we'll talk about how it affected your mothering.
0: So what I say about the Marriage Box is that the premise is based on my real life, which is I grew up in New Orleans and I didn't know much about my Syrian background at all. And when I was 16, my parents decided they wanted to come back to Brooklyn Because they had both grown up there and had just moved to New Orleans for work reasons. And once I started dating, they they wanted me in that Syrian community in Brooklyn. So uh, we moved back, which was super hard because it was my junior year of high school. And like I said, the world was totally foreign to me. I knew nothing about Orthodox Judaism, much less Syrian culture. And so there was tons to learn. One of the values is to get married super young. So I swore I wouldn't than I did. And so the marriage box is based on that premise. All the details are made up.
1: It's interesting to me that you lived outside of the community for a good part of your life and then went into it late. That's a very unique position to be in. So what was your impressions going into the community? And were you able to pick and choose the values that you felt were important? How did it affect your life having seen living from both perspectives? Mm -hmm. Um, It
0: was a process, Uh, definitely a process. We had come to spend the summer with the community when I was 14 and 15. And initially, I just felt like this was the most amazing group of people. And it was a lot of fun. And I was the newcomer and people were really nice to me. And that was great. But by the time we moved, when I was 16, I had really become embedded in New Orleans life. I had my driver's license. I was a cheerleader. I was thinking about college and I had really great friends. So moving by that time felt really different. I also think like 16, you're forming your identity. You're trying to figure out who you are. And I had started to establish thoughts about how my life would go that were, they they were different than community values. So I wanted to go to college. And when I got to Brooklyn and, and realized the value and the goal was to get married, I, I definitely was rebellious and angry and a bit sad. I was, you know, grieving the loss of my friends and, and my old life because it was really quite different in New York.
1: So how did you come around then to agreeing to marry at 18? Um, I met
0: my husband and <laughs> we fell in love. and. It was on the table the whole time that I was going to maybe I had gotten into Tulane and BU and I was kind of going on that path. And in the end, I just decided um to get married and be with him. And I did go to college, but obviously I wasn't dorming. We were married. Right. Um I did pursue my education, which took a really long time. It took six years to get an undergraduate degree and then six more years to get a graduate degree. And that's because, besides being married, I had started having children.
1: Can you just fill us in, give a little bit of the background on the community? Because I don't know that all of our listeners are necessarily familiar with how it works. And then we'll go back to having children and what age you were.
0: Sure. So the Syrian community, um, I'll tell you what I know, uh, came largely from Aleppo in the early 1900s and established themselves in the New York area and when we came here we were just like many immigrant groups and not very wealthy and struggling and it was very important that the men go out and work to put food on the table and i think the women were required to were expected to keep the families going and husbands were often not even around they they worked long hours and i think education in this community took on a different stance than it did in other communities, specifically even Jewish communities, because education is known to be an important value in Jewish communities. But in this community, it wasn't. It was about hard work and family. It wasn't until three generations, even four generations in America, where going to college or even finishing high school became important. It was more of a luxury once they were established. So the book, The Marriage Box, takes place in the 80s, which was right when the community was becoming wealthy, feeling established. But they struggled, like many groups, with assimilation and trying to hold on to their traditions, but be somewhat American and modern. And so there were a lot of growing pains in trying to figure out who they, we were, and are.
1: And so... Do people still encourage their children currently to marry young and forego education? Or do you see that as something that's changing in the community?
0: Definitely it's changing. It's not frowned upon. Where it might have been two generations ago, it's encouraged. And there are people who are going. However, there are people who are really still have strong beliefs about starting the family and getting married young. And so it's both.
1: So how old were you when you had your first child? 20. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe that's a little bit of the explanation, not the whole explanation of why you look so young for a grandma. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So, how old is your oldest child then now? He's 38. It must be so nice to have 13 grandchildren and so many children. So lovely. It's a lot of fun. So when I was reading the marriage box, Corey, I was struck uh, by the patriarchal society that existed within the Syrian community. And I should clarify, this is the Jewish Syrian community. There are other sects, but this is the Jewish Syrian. Would this be um, referred to as the Sephardic community? So
0: the Sephardic community includes other cultures as well. Iranian or Egyptian. So I say Syrian because it's specifically the immigrants who came from Syria, Aleppo, Syria.
1: So what is your assessment of the patriarchal culture within the Syrian society? Because I did notice notes of that as I was reading the marriage box.
0: So I definitely agree. What I'd like to be really clear about pointing out is that I don't, while it was something that was inside this Syrian community, for sure. Patriarchy exists. I I think it was going on in the country as well. I think in the 80s, there were definitely gender biases that we had to deal with as American women. And in the community, it it, it sometimes was amped up, that's for sure. And yeah, I don't like it, which I think is why I wrote about it. So um, I'd like to just be clear when this is asked that for sure, patriarchy exists in the Syrian community. And it did more so generations ago. But also, it was definitely evident in the culture in at large, in American society. So and in New Orleans, not just in New York. So growing up in New Orleans, there were my fifth grade report card that said, Corey, it's really, the boys really appreciate when Cory doesn't get mad at them, when they do something wrong or something like that. And I went to a really progressive school, but it was the 70s and the South. And that was a message that I got early on. I was 10. In the community later on, some of the things that I had to face were definitely that the boys could have more freedom. They could go out at night with their friends. They were beginning to go away to college where girls were not allowed to.
1: What positive and negative influences did you take away from your experience and how did you apply those influences to your own mothering?
0: Oh, well, family is a huge value. I think that was just kind of innate inside of me. I loved being a mother, but who knows how much the community influenced me. I really just took to mothering. I always said, how do you know when to stop? I kept wanting to have another baby, and then after my fifth, I was like, "Oh, you just know, <laughs> I'm just done." <laughs> um, Not after three, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone's different, and I think it was because I started so young too. I had had four of my kids before I was thirty, and I just wasn't ready to be done. I wanted to have another one when I was a bit older, so I waited till I was like thirty-four to have her.
1: Were they natural births or C-sections? A mix because. So maybe when our bodies are younger, it might be, they may be a bit more resilient.
0: For sure. Child I had when I was 34 was significantly harder. And I do think it's because I was 34. My daughter is in her 30s now and it's, she's tired. She's really, I mean, not that everyone's not tired, but I think carrying a baby at 21 is very different than carrying a baby at 34. I do think it's just harder. Yeah.
1: Definitely. And since our society in general tends to do it later, we don't get to speak to moms as much who do it younger. And there is an argument for doing it younger than the biological argument, I suppose.
0: Yeah. At- pros and cons, I think, to both choices. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, uh, do you believe religion has a place in your children's lives? And how did you pass the notion of religion down to your children, given it was a, a conservative religious upbringing? from if it matches what was in the novel, like that, I'm not sure. Sure. So
0: um, that's been somewhat of a, I don't know if challenge is the right word, but I'll use it. I'll say it's been a bit of a challenge in my marriage because um, when my husband and I got married, we were pretty much on the same page as far as religious observance went. And then he started to become more observant as time went on. So in raising our kids, we really had to compromise and figure out what we wanted for them because we didn't always see eye to eye. So my kids have two perspectives at least, and they have choice. I don't, I've never demanded they do or don't do anything. I've left it to them. They've just been exposed to different things and were left to make their own choices.
1: I I know you and I spoke about the religious aspect because of my situation. So I feel like that's interesting because you're in a more conservative community where you're both Jewish yet you seem to be more hands-off with your children's religion than I am and I'm not Jewish (laughs) so it's just so interesting how it all goes right
0: yeah well my husband's definitely not hands-off I mean that was one of our challenges for me asking him to please be hands-off a little bit let them make their own choices Uh but some of them went to yeshiva some of them went to yeshiva and and left and so they've had a number of experiences and and they go to synagogue on the weekends. So they, they are exposed to it, but have a choice how much they want to engage and not.
1: You're such a wonderful bridge of both communities. It's really interesting what you bring to the table. And I feel like it's so great and refreshing because you are able to kind of have both you know, a a foot in both societies and bring it together in this really wonderful way where you're modern and you're writing and you're, you know, going against whatever patriarchal things they have, yet you're embracing the traditions and the culture and the religion. I I find it fascinating. The book is fascinating. I really was very happy to read it. You do speak in the book also a lot about the emphasis on women's looks, Mm -hmm. My mom owned business on Nostrand Avenue, like in that area. And I do remember these gorgeous women coming in like with their Prada and like dressed to the nines. (laughs) One more beautiful than the next. (laughs) What are your feelings on that? And how did you handle that with your daughters?
0: So I have a couple of theories. I would say one of the original catalyst for beauty being an important value was probably for marriage like you know look beautiful so you can attract someone and you'll get married which is the you know one of the most important goals and values in the community i also think historically and again this is changing there was a really strong push for everything to look perfect not only you as an individual but your home. Everything neatly stacked and organized, and really women ran their still run their homes beautifully, you know a lot of care taken to cleanliness, neatness what, whatever was going on underneath was being protected if it if it wasn't perfect. that's starting to change the generation today they are speaking out more about when things aren't great they're they're being more truthful about what's going on. Which I find really refreshing and important.
1: Casey's mom in the novel. She was almost like the quintessential stereotypical eighties mom, like <laughs> to not know what's going on with the kids, the whole nine yards. I don't know if whether or not your mom was like that in real life or if this was an embellished character, but she was very hands-off. So I was wondering how did your relationship with your mother influence this through line in the novel?
0: My mom was. A bit of an 80s mom, you know, hands off and, and super proud of it. Like she thought, I'm raising these really independent kids. So she was definitely just doing what was appropriate in the culture. By the time I became a mom, it was, you know, 20 years later and we had learned a thing or two.
1: If your children were to write a tell-all about you of <laughs> What
0: would they say? So I think when they were growing up, they would never say, mom, you're so weird. (laughs) But I think they kind of thought that definitely there was a time where they didn't understand why we would be on a family ski trip. And I was, you know, back in the lodge, writing by myself all day, instead of being on the mountain with them, they thought that was strange.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think I think my kids do as well sometimes, (laughs) but it's okay because I feel like you're giving them a benefit. I think at the end of the day, it's a benefit for them to see there's more to whatever the world is that they're immersed in.
0: I think I definitely can relate to the moment where your kids are
1: going on this going skiing on vacation and you are writing in the lodge. Can you kind of articulate why you, you chose to write in the lodge in that moment?
0: Well, okay. So when my kids were super small, I, I would go out and see with them. I, I, we did it as a family. And at some point, I don't know, I got tired and they got better than I got also. So keeping up with them wasn't so easy. And I had this really gigantic need, urge, desire to write the marriage box. It was just something in me that it, it just wouldn't go away. And it lived in me for 20 years. And so ski trips were a time where I could really just find that peace and that quiet, because they'd be out skiing with my husband or in ski school or whatever. And the mountains were just a great backdrop for me. always felt really peaceful there and I could get really good work done. So it turned out to be a great way to not have to ski double black diamonds (laughs) at a speed that totally didn't make me comfortable and i didn't have to worry about them so much like you know stop slow down be careful i could just not look Go so, do my thing in the lodge